I'm Philip Johnson, and you're on Season 2 of The Broken Journey. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And if you turn to John 20, chapter 22, When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. I have a history of choking on food at every meal. I, um, almost every meal, my family will just be eating, eating, and they'll wait and they'll turn and look and be like, all right, is this the moment? Is this when he's going to choke on something? And so you would think they would always be ready because it happens so often. One time we're sitting down with a group of uh, friends having, I think they had a birthday party and there was some cake. And I thought, you know what? I'm not really a cake guy. I'm more of a pie person, but I thought, I'll give the cake a try this time. So I'm over there quietly eating my cake. And then all of a sudden, that white, fluffy, sugary cake just like expanded in my throat. And it just... And I could not, I could not get a breath. It was like a sponge that was just like blocking any air coming through and just the it was just lodged there. So I'm sitting here choking to death and everyone's just laughing, having a wonderful time. And I feel like my lips are turning blue. And then finally my wife is like, are you choking? Oh, come on. And then finally I was like, <gasps> and it's a horrible feeling when you can't get your breath. Like you don't even think about your breath until it's like taken from you. And when you can't breathe, then you realize just how important breath is and this statement in John 20 chapter 2 is a bit mysterious on the surface when isolated from its proper context the depth of its meaning can be easily overlooked and the same can be said for our lives for your life for my life for this world for the lives of the people that we are called to minister to when isolated from its proper context the depth of their meaning can easily be overlooked. And if you find yourself feeling overlooked, invisible, out of your depth, lost without purpose, it's quite possible you're living isolated from your proper context. It's quite possible that the people you're ministering to are living isolated from their proper context. Life can feel like you're at a party but choking while everyone else is carrying on, enjoying the privilege of airways that work properly. But just like this passage, your life, their life has a proper context. And when placed in the proper context, a world of beauty and joy and possibility will open up like a breath of fresh air. When John set out to write his account of the gospel, he did so at a particular point in time, with a particular community of people in mind. He was writing to communicate to fellow disciples who were living through a difficult time of persecution. It was a world swimming with cultures of all kinds. A walk through the marketplace could bring you into contact with people from all over the world. Egyptians, Greeks, Syrians, Jews, Babylonians, people with vastly different styles of dress, and languages and customs and fundamental views of how the world works. It was a cacophony of voices 
And we often mistakenly think that our time in the world is unique. Never before has the world been so diverse, we'll say. It's always been diverse. Never before has poverty and racism and immorality and godlessness and violence. No, since the fall in the garden, wherever men have forged futures without his life, his love, his presence, his spirit, it's been this way. Now, on the surface, there may be nuanced differences But at the core, when you drill down to the heart of men and women separated from God, you will see that sin is not unique. It's rather predictable. And it always leads to divisiveness and derision and disrespect and ultimately death and destruction. The community of John, the one that he was writing to, was walking through such a time. In particular, this community of Christians was feeling the deep pains of being ostracized by the Jewish community in particular. He's writing to a group of believers shaken and discouraged by the hostility they are facing from a world with vastly different views and morals and sadly from family and those who used to be close friends, people who thought they would sympathize with them. He's writing to a group of people being chased out of the community at large and forced to sit on the outside, demeaned, belittled, ignored, unheard, voiceless. So John pins this gospel. And it's more than just a recounting of events. John has a very deliberate purpose in not just what he has to say, but in how he says it and which stories he includes. So one of the things as apostolics, we're very big on saying that we believe in the inspired word of God, that all of it is inspired. We believe that. We often mean all the content is inspired, every single word. But we forget that if the whole thing is inspired by God, it's not just the content, but the form. He didn't just randomly choose narrative as the primary way of communicating who he is. So the whole thing is inspired. And John has a deliberate purpose in how he writes, what he writes. Everything about the creation of this gospel is deliberate. It's intentional. Just like the world which God crafted in Genesis Every part fits together, bringing order to the chaos, bringing life out of darkness, breathing his purpose. John is creating a new social reality for his community. He's giving them a new worldview based on the person of Jesus. John 20 ends with a statement declaring his intent in writing the gospel. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that ye may come to believe that Jesus is Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. In the midst of their chaos, in the clutter of their culture, in the middle of their pain and persecution, John is giving the community a way to speak, to act, to be in the world. He is reorienting who they are. Now, there's a famous philosopher, goes by the name of Lil Wayne, and he says this, 
in one of the songs that he writes. First things first, can you imagine what's about to happen? It's Wheezy the Dragon. I link with the dragons and we're going to get ratchet. No need for imagining. This is what's happening. Second thing second, I reckon immaculate sound about accurate. I know that strength, it don't come without strategy. I know that sweet, it don't come without cavities. I know the passages come with some traffic. I start from the basic, end up in the attic. A third thing third, whoever called me out, they simply can't count. Let's get mathematic. I'm up in this. Is you a believer? I get a unicorn out of a zebra. I wear my uniform like a tuxedo. This dragon don't hold his breath, don't need a breather. I know the blooming don't come without rain. I know the losing don't come without shame. I know the beauty don't come without pain. At the heart of all artistic expression is the desire to communicate experience where plain language fails. That's why I've asked you guys to tell me your stories, your experiences with God. Not just an academic recitation of facts about God, but your experiences matter. There's no truth until the subjective truth and the objective truth, the spirit and word are integrated. Then you have truth. Creative expression uses creative wordplay, imagery, and metaphor to bring us into a new understanding that pulls not just our head, but our heart, our bodies, our senses, all of us into a new old way of seeing. The artist helps us see like a child. Children, if you've seen a child, Sister Gatson, I would try to say your first name, but I need you to tell me how to say it so I don't want to butcher it because it has something about it that's beautiful and meaning to you, and I want to get that right. You have a one-year-old son, if I remember correctly. Isn't it amazing how to them, everything is awesome. Like, everything is like, I got to taste this. I got to touch it. Oh, a wad of hair I found on the ground. I should lick that. This is amazing. What is it? They are filled with wonder, and that's what creativity That's what creativity does, is it helps us to see as a child sees. Artists highlight our world so we can return to seeing it with newness. So one thing, when we talk about pneumatology, we talk about the spirit. I want us to understand that the spirit is an artist. The Bible is incredible. It's deep and it's rich and it's creative and it's expressive and it's experiential And it will move you, not just your head. It doesn't just give you practical ways of living. It does that. But it's a creative expression from God that pulls everything that you are into its world. Just like that great philosopher, Little Wayne, invites us into the song by Imagine Dragons, Believer, to see the pain of living can have a purpose. The book of John is carefully crafted around numerous interlocking metaphors all of which point back towards the creation narratives of Genesis. And he uses these metaphors to speak hope and forge an identity for his community. So right here, you're already seeing, what does the Spirit do? You, many of you have said, well, I want to see what the Spirit does. Like, what, what's going on in the Old Testament, the New Testament, before Acts? I tell you what the Spirit's doing. As you begin to watch, if you understand that the Spirit of God is in every single word that he's given us in the text, Weaving and forging an identity for his community. 
In religious language, metaphors build a bridge between the physical world and the spiritual world by way of analogy. In John chapter 16, Jesus speaks to his disciples. Are you discussing among yourselves what I meant when I said a little while and you will no longer see me and again a little while and you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn to joy. And then here comes the metaphor. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. So you have pain now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Like little Wayne and imagine dragons, Jesus is telling his disciples to be believers, believers in him. Pain is here. Pain is coming. Pain is something everyone knows, but in him, our pain does not have to dictate our purpose. In him, we can have his purpose direct our pain. Jesus continues and he says, on that day, you will ask nothing of me. Very truly, I tell you, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. A metaphor is a word or phrase used to describe somebody or something in a way that differs from its normal use in order to show that two things have the same qualities and to make the description more powerful. So I don't just say, you know, it's a table. I, I give a metaphor that talks, that, that kind of invites you into what a table is, what a table does. And in so doing, it brings in a whole world of relationship. It's like our, our bodies are designed to like see things. So that's how perception works is I can see a car driving down the road and I go car, except it's not really a car, is it? Because my, my eyes see, they see the wheels, they see the hood, they see the windows, they see all of the parts at one time. And it tells me all of these parts working together is a car. But then when I say car and I, it begins to create this metaphor, I think of freedom. If I'm 16, I think of family. If I'm an adult with kids and it begins to open up a world of relationships. So metaphors are incredibly powerful. When you break it down from the Greek, metaphor, M-E-T-A-P-H-O-R, literally means to carry across. It's a vehicle of transformation, enabling people to move from one world to another. A metaphor is a vehicle for conversion. It's a vehicle to convert you from one place to another. What is the spirit? It's a metaphor. It converts you from one place to another. John uses seven statements throughout his gospel. Jesus makes the statement, I am followed by a metaphor. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. 
John is speaking to his community, the ones that are sitting on the outside looking in, the ones that are persecuted and pressured on all sides, the ones being ignored, demeaned, belittled, threatened, the victims, the oppressed. And he says, I am is the bread of life. He's your sustenance. I am the light of the world, the revealer. I am the door of the sheep. You need a safe place? I'm the door that gets you there. I am the resurrection and the life. Are you feeling dead? He's the life. I am the good shepherd if you need a protector. I am the way, the truth, and the life. How you lost your way? Are you confused? Then point to Jesus. I am the true vine. You can tap into me and find life and fruit that's abundant and rich. And when you produce fruit, it's not for you. You don't produce fruit for you to eat. That's why we need a community of believers. That's why the Holy Spirit gathers us together so that he can produce fruit in me that you eat of. And you produce fruit in you that can sustain me. John uses metaphor after metaphor. The I am statements are only few of the many over and over and over until you begin to be hammered by a new reality. Whatever you need, whatever you think is missing, whatever the world that you're ministering to is missing, Jesus is. What John is driving home is that a metaphor is a vehicle of transformation, of conversion, and Jesus is the metaphor. What is truly powerful about a metaphor is that it is accessible to everyone, no matter their economic situation, their race, their ability, their social status. The metaphor opens the gospel to all people. It levels the playing ground for everyone. And remember that in the Greek, the words meta for can literally be translated to carry a cross. Three words now. Carry a cross. And that is exactly what Jesus did and is still doing. Jesus said to them, so this is a class on the spirit. So Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. We do not draw a distinction as oneness believers in the Holy Spirit from the Father, from the Son. When I say Jesus, you say Spirit. When I say Spirit, you say Jesus. They're the same. It's Him. The Spirit is not something separate and distinct. It's an issue I kind of have that we even have a pneumatology class because I feel that pneumatology as a study subject is a little bit rooted in a Trinitarian mindset. But we have to kind of play the game a little bit. So we study pneumatology so that we can see this aspect of God as it's manifest in the text, that the Spirit of God is at operation in every word every culture, every person, every animal, even the wind itself carries the Spirit of God. When you think about the Spirit of God, and we'll touch on it a little bit Sunday, 
the Hebrew word ruach means is is a metaphor for breath, wind, spirit. The Hebrew language is largely driven by imagery. And so you have to have context to understand what a Hebrew word actually means. Is it talking about breath? Is it talking about spirit? Is it talking about wind? Is it talking about all three? Is it talking about two of them? All of it depends on the word and the words around it. So very quickly you begin to understand that God's word is intrinsically relational and depends heavily on relationship in order to convey meaning. So here we have John writing to these disciples and we have this particular context. The disciples in chapter 20 are locked in a room in fear for their literal lives, just like the community John's writing to. But to really understand what's happening, you have to go all the way back to John chapter 1. So whenever you start reading about the Spirit, there's a danger when we try to isolate texts and we leave out the relational context. And so you want to begin to study something in concentric circles. Like this is the passage I'm looking at, but you're never going to get what's going on there until you begin to, to, all right, let's move it out. What's happening here? What's God doing here? What's he doing here? And it's when you understand that there is a thread of the spirit that starts in Genesis 1 and ends in Revelation. And he's carrying this whole thing and pulling it all together. And it's layered and it's rich and it's beautiful. And it's inviting you in to see the pattern, the oneness that's in his word that emerges from his people when they gather in his spirit. So to understand what's happening in this context, in this text of John 20, you gotta go back to verse to chapter one. In the beginning was the word. John starts the book with an obvious connection to creation and the well-known scriptures showing God as the source which breathes life into all things, which spirit, wind, breath, into all things. Then throughout the book, he continues to connect Jesus to the accounts of Genesis. In John chapter 19, the immediate context, Jesus dies on the cross after uttering the words, it is finished. Then he takes his last breath and is shut in a tomb. It's a place of despair. Then in John 20, we find the empty tomb. What was once a place of despair has now become a place of discovery. From your perspective, from the perspective of those you minister to, it might feel like they're in a pit of despair, but God, his spirit turns pits of despair into wellsprings of life. This is exciting stuff. We find that the disciples are also locked in a room bound by fear when Jesus appears in the midst of them, tells them to put their hands in his wounds, and he says, peace be with you, and they rejoiced, just like a woman who holds her baby for the first time after the pains of childbirth. Then he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, and he breathes on them. 
John is connecting what Jesus does here with what Yahweh did in Genesis 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 7. He's telling his readers, the God who formed man from the dust and breathed life into his nostrils is the same God. It's the same spirit who died for your sins, who was buried for your sins, who was raised so you could know new life and is sending you out into his creation to speak his love and peace and hope and joy. It's 2022. 2020 seems like 10 years ago. But when you begin, to, when I began to look at what's going on in the culture, I remember this particular event, and I'm not getting political here, but there was a phrase long before COVID even took off that began to capture our Western culture and even the world. It was a phrase that tapped into some pain and some anguish. And it was a world that was saying something that I don't think they even had a clue what was really being said. And it was, let him breathe. You started to see it on t-shirts. It started to be a slogan that tapped into some suffering. And you would hear people say, let him breathe, let him breathe. And it would highlight this, this struggle of, of racism and, and oppression and pain and suffering and anguish that's going on in the culture. And it just stirred up all kinds of nasty stuff. It felt like we were all being shut in. Wait a second. The whole world did get shut in. And what did COVID attack in us physically? Our breath. Our breath. Let him breathe. I hope in this class, as we begin to dive into the word of God, as you begin to search your heart, as you begin to think long and hard about the dark corners that you have maybe pushed God away from and said, thank you so God for cleaning this part of me up. I'm so ready to get out into the world. But over here, there's some ugliness I don't want to deal with. I hope that as we move through this class, that somewhere in your readings, in your reflections, that you will let him ruach. Let him breathe. Let the spirit move in your life. And watch as something creative begins to happen within you. As God takes you into the disorder and into the chaos and he begins to form a community. Oh.